Welcome to Through the Firewall, conversations with Force 3 about the changing world of IT and network security. Through the Firewall, Force 3's podcast. We're here with Episode 7. Joining me this morning, Rob Dawson, who is a pre-sales solutions architect for the collaboration practice here at Force 3. Rob, good morning. Now, today we're going to combine a, a couple different topics um, under the umbrella of unified communication. So we're going to talk in a little bit um, about how Splunk sort of plays in that arena. But we're going to start off with um, news about uh, Akano. Akano, a um, British uh, unified communications provider, recently the big news from them that they were acquired by Cisco. If some of our listeners here aren't quite caught up yet with this news, can you give us a little bit of background on Akano, sort of what it is as a company and what their technology does? Yeah, sure. So Akano was founded by some um, some ex-Tanberg employees after the Cisco acquisition of Tanberg. Uh, Akano is an on-prem um, collaboration platform for Teams, basically. So you probably heard of Slack or Cisco Spark, uh, persistent collaboration rooms or the concept there. And Akano kind of provides that same uh, use case for an on-prem solution. Um, it allows customers to capitalize on their existing technology investments and also extend the capabilities of those existing investments um, for flexible video conferencing. And uh, it can be used for a lower cost bridging solution uh, based on it's, it's based on commodity hardware. So it uses Intel processors as opposed to dedicated DSP resources. Um, and it can actually be used to also blend uh, disparate platforms seamlessly, so bridge together you know, non-native technologies. So you're talking about if someone is using sort of a, a Skype for video conference and then another video conference and try to get those to talk Skype, together. Skype is one of the, the preeminent use cases for Akano, actually. So yeah, you can use Akano to act as a bridge between Skype and traditional Cisco VTC, Polycom VTC, uh, Web WebRTC, which is something I'd like to talk about a little bit later as well. Um, touch on that some more. But yeah, so you can blend any capability to any capability, any manufacturer to any manufacturer, and at the highest native capabilities for each each leg of the call. Now, what is the market for this at the moment? One of the things, it was interesting during research for this was a video between Cisco and the, uh, the CEO or founder of Okano talking about video isn't necessarily quite there yet, but it is a something that customers are asking and begging for. So is this an acquisition from Cisco to look, you know, two, five years into the future? to where sort of unified communications and, and real-time collaboration is going with video? Yeah, I think that's definitely a decent way to look at it. Um, the Econo acquisition does help Cisco complete its conferencing portfolio. So they've got Spark. Um, Spark's not going to be FedRAMP approved anytime soon, so it won't be available as a platform for federal customers. Um, so this kind of gives those same capabilities for uh, for federal customers in an on-prem solution. It also provides Cisco with with a reach into the link slash Skype for business uh, customers as well, um, which is something they've been trying to deal with for, for a while now. Skype's gaining market share. Obviously, Cisco wants to be able to capitalize on that in some manner. This gives them a method to do that. So if you're a current Cisco customer, yeah. you now have Econo available to you. What would be the process to sort of get that set up and have the, the benefits of it apply to your organization or so your solution? It's a little bit different today than it will be in a few months. Um, obviously, the acquisition happened in January, and with, with any acquisition, there's there's rollout time. So today, uh, you simply buy a condo the way it's always been consumed. So you go out, buy a condo licensing, buy the condo platform to run it on, and that's it. In the future, the licensing for condo is going to be bundled into Cisco Cool Pro licensing, much the way that uh, Telepresence Server is today and the other infrastructure for the traditional Cisco VTC. Uh, so if, if you purchase 
CoolPro users, you'll gain the right to use CoolPro, um, I'm sorry, Econo licensing for those users as well. Sure. So yeah, as you said, any acquisition takes a little while to, to, to yeah, figure out. Yeah. The, the licensing part should actually be done, uh, I believe, August, September timeframe is what they were talking about. So it's going to be a pretty quick uh, migration into the new, the new licensing structure. Um, as far as the hardware platform, I know they're migrating to, you know, Cisco obviously has UCS servers. They want to be able to run Econo on that. And they can today. It can run as a virtualized machine. You don't gain the scalability that you do with the Econo X3 platform, or X platform, I should say. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't heard how they're going to tackle that yet. I don't know if the Econo... Um, so Econo utilizes Intel processors on PCI Express cards to be able to provide the video bridging capabilities, the scalability. I'm not sure if that's going to be ported into Cisco UCS hardware at some point in the future or what the, where the exact method of implementation would be there. Now, is that bridging and scaling possibility really sort of the, the uniqueness or the differentiator of Econo? Like what really sort of you think drew uh, Cisco to Econo? What benefits can it, it add that other companies or solutions can't? Those are certainly two huge benefits to the Econo solution. So the scalability, you've got a 2U box that can support at least 250 um, HD video video legs, right? So, which is 250 calls on a traditional MCU solution would be half of a rack, uh, half of a server rack. Um, you know, so 20 times, you know, 10 times the uh, 10 times the amount of space, basically. Sure. You know, um, and then the the price points just insane. So it's based on user licensing, not port licensing, which is a traditional model for for VTC. Um, so if you needed to accommodate that 250 calls, you'd have to pay for every port, whether they're in use or not. With the Econo licensing model and with the Cool Pro licensing model moving forward, you're going to be paying uh, per user. So if I'm enabled as a as an Econo user, I can utilize whatever Econo bridging resources are available on the system or that I'm entitled to based on permissions, without paying additional costs for the port for the port usage. So the cost savings, at least we've talked about so far, come from the licensing mm-hmm. and come from the uh, saving of hardware. You're not having yeah. taking up that much rack space. Yeah. Yeah. What What are some other ways that you know this Econo um, added to your UC system is going to you know save you some some bottom line dollars? Uh, I mean, other slightly less sexy things, obviously rack space, cooling, power requirements. You know, so data center data center resources, um, management. Uh, management of the Econo solution is a little bit simpler than a traditional VTC, VTC type solution, so you may be able to save some money there. So cost savings is obviously a, a big decision or a, a big factor, I should say, in any decision to, to go with Econo or another um, solution like that. What are some other you know business problems or, or use cases you can see Econo really helping um, you know an enterprise or a federal agency really helping accomplish? Yeah, I, I think one of the cool concepts with Econo is that um, you know, they've got this concept of everyone's invited. So that means anybody on any device from any place can join a conference call. Uh, it all ties back into that bridging capability to bridge whatever system you're coming from at whatever the highest capabilities of that system are. Um, it, so it enables you, and, and then WebRTC, I mentioned that earlier too, is actually probably even a little bit, a little bit more important than that. So you look at telehealth, telemedicine initiatives, uh, customer service initiatives, things of that nature. Um, WebRTC really makes sense there. WebRTC is a clientless um, connection that's browser-based. So if you have Firefox or Google, you could do this today. You can pull up a web page and instantly kick off a video session through the Econo Bridge um, into a call center agent or whoever, whoever you need to speak to, whatever the case may be there. 
um, without having to download and install a client, without having to go through any rigmarole to, to get that, that up and running. So that'd be more on the, the customer or the end user side. So I need to talk with my doctor. I need to right. sort of come in and have, I, I can't make it into my appointment today, or I want to look at the x-rays and I can't make it in. Right. We can set up a secure or, link that way. Or e- even better than that, you're actually doing consultative work right. over the bridge. So I'm actually seeing you as a patient and you know looking at your symptoms, talking to you about what your symptoms are, a prescribing uh, treatment uh, plan, you know, whatever the case may be. So. Sure. And outside, you said of like telehealth, telemedicine, that makes a lot of sense, especially if you, you know, as you said earlier, saved on travel costs. Mm -hmm. We've always talked about the very elusive uh, virtual meeting or the virtual consultation. If you're able to look at something and, hey, we have a problem here in, in, in setting up this rack, like, can you take a look at it? Well, I'm gonna have to come out there or we can set up an HD camera and figure it out remotely. We've got, um, we've actually got a, a, a health customer today that runs, um, that runs clinics in remote areas for their customers. They have a hard time stocking actual emergency room doctors in these clinics because the doctors don't see enough patients to, to keep their licensure up and the pay is just not there. You know, it's just, it doesn't scale that, that way, you know. So what they wind up doing is they have somebody come in and they do a lot of life flights. So, you know tens of thousands of dollars for a helicopter flight to get a patient from a remote site to the nearest clinic, nearest hospital, where they're treated for the flu or some other non-life-threatening issue. We're working with them to implement Econo now as a solution so that they can utilize those WebRTC capabilities and actually deal with those uh, patients at the clinics and even at remote sites, home, for example, uh, without having to do the life flight process. And, And obviously, you know, I, I don't know the exact number of these life flights that they're doing per year, but it was some substantial number. And and, and if you cut down five of them, that's oh yeah, five fifty thousand yeah. dollars right yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, enough of those, and you definitely pay for the solution, and you still gain other benefits besides just that. So, Rob, it goes probably without saying that all of this, especially in telehealth, telemedicine with HIPAA, needs to be secure. So, how does Econo keep this real-time communications secure over your network? Akana was designed from the ground up as a secure platform. Uh, it was designed to be compliant with FISMA, Common Criteria, and JIDIC, uh, which for people who don't know, JIDIC is the Joint Interoperability Test Command, uh, which specifies minimum security requirements for DOD customers. <clears throat> it is currently on the JIDIC APL, which means that it can be sold and is being sold into DOD and Intel customers today. So um, it's widely deployed, very secure solution, supports end-to-end encryption of the audio and video stream. Um, and yeah, it's 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 built to be secure from from day one. I, that's the bottom line. It is secure. Right, right. There's not much more to say about it beyond that, honestly. So. How easy is it then to take this secure solution and integrate it into your existing infrastructure? It sounds like it's going to be pretty easy if it's Cisco. If you want a Kano sort of separate of Cisco, is that going to be possible or not? Are you going to have to sort of change around your your current solution a bit? So a Kano supported standalone today. You can actually deploy a Kano just to serve as a bridge between two disparate systems. So if you've got Cisco on one side, Polycom on the other, which is another use case that we're looking at for a customer. Um, it can bridge the capabilities between those two seamlessly, and nobody would ever know the Econo box was even deployed. Um, it can be deployed to support other video systems, obviously, so um, provide capabilities to Skype. We've discussed that already. Uh, Cisco, the deployment for Cisco is dead simple. Um, you basically stand up a SIP trunk, add some dial plan rules, add an incoming outgoing rule on the Econo box, and you're done. So it's working at that point. Um, Skype's a little bit more complicated on the Skype backend, but still well within the realm of, of you know, 
being completed fairly easily. And the great thing is that Force does provide professional services for customers who need assistance with, with that. So. Now, looking forward to the next, you know, um, several years of this integration between Cisco and Connor, like what really excites you here about not only just this one solution, but sort of the, the growing demand for these secure, uh, real-time, unified communication solutions? I think the fact that it allows customers to leverage their existing infrastructure and add these real-time capabilities, the WebRTC and, and the other, um, you know, the room-based systems, persistent collaboration to their existing uh, existing infrastructure. I think that's really one of the, the coolest things to me. Anytime that you can help a customer um, utilize what they have today and add to those capabilities, it really helps to drive the value proposition for that customer. And I, I think that excites me most. Now, did you see the same thing as, again, the gentleman from Cisco said in, in the video that customers are really demanding and wanting video and not quite knowing how to get started with it? Video has been a, a very funny um, a very funny product, right? So the promise of video has been there for years now. Uh, video was always kind of you know the holy grail of communication and then when people get video on their desktop they don't really like to use it you know if I'm talking to you on a video call it feels kind of goofy to look at you on the phone collaboration is really what drives adoption of video um, and the, the room-based collaboration and persistent collaboration really helps to anchor that um, that solution so if we have 10 people in a room together and we can actually interact in a meaningful way and the video is in, in, in document sharing, whatever else comes with screen sharing, whatever else comes along with that um, solution is helping to drive that, it makes it more meaningful for us. So it might not be a one-on-one, -on -one. I'm going to pick up still a regular phone yeah. and give you a call, but if yeah, if you're in a meeting or if you need to check something out, those are the, the group cases, I guess, where yeah. video really yeah. makes more yeah. sense. Yeah, again, group collaboration is really what's going to drive the adoption for video. So we are starting to see a little bit more uh, pervasive adoption of video. Customers are still shying away from it to a degree, though. The other, I mentioned the Cool Pro licensing earlier, so something that Cisco did this previous year was they actually uh, rolled all the, the the video infrastructure, so virtual telepresence server, conductor, all the other components that they require to do video um, in their native solution, they rolled that into the Cool licensing as well. So there's no separate charge for that. So they're really trying to drive customers to the Cool Pro licensing model and to adoption of video. It's really, uh, it's one of their, it's at the forefront of thought, certainly for Cisco, I think, at this point. So. Sure. And most other manufacturers as well. And are you seeing any difference, again, in, in adoption or in thinking about video between um, enterprise, private sector, and government agencies? Are they coming about this different ways? Do you see different use cases for this technology for, you know, the sort of the two sides of the business spectrum? I think the use cases are probably similar. Uh, for commercial and federal civilian, federal customers, let's just leave it at that, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think they're very similar. I don't think there's any strong differentiator between the two. Um, obviously, commercial seems to be a little bit more uh, forward-thinking and picking up video adoption, so um, that's one difference. But as far as the use cases, I think they're very similar. Yeah. Sure. Is there anything else that you want to get out there about Akana? I know we have the um, um, Splunk part of this conversation to get to as well, but I didn't want to make sure that we missed anything important here about the uh, the Econo. Yeah, just again to touch on a couple brief points, um, it does allow customers to capitalize on their existing technology investment, um, and it provides a really great solution at a great price point for, for customers that are looking to either get into video or extend their current video capabilities. So, sure. Yeah. So we have Econo here as a, a secure unified communications solution. We had talked before about Splunk in a previous podcast, really focusing on how it's a universal machine data platform, uh, thinking about big data, text-based data, insight, and you know insight into what's happening in your network. Mm -hmm. but 
But how does then these uh, capabilities for Splunk apply to something like Akana or something else in your more real-time unified communications? Does Splunk play a role there? Yeah, definitely. If you if you look at a collaboration platform like Cisco Unified Communications Manager, for example, um, you've got multiple layers there. You've got the application layer. So Unified Communications Manager itself is an application um, that provides services, registration, call control. You've got the OS that runs on Cisco Unified OS. That OS runs on a virtual machine, which runs on a hypervisor, which runs on a Cisco UCS server, which connects to a Cisco network. So there are many different layers there, many different points for uh, machine data to be drawn from and to be capitalized on. Um, if you look at the Cisco collaboration suite, there are some intrinsic tools. So we've got you know, Cisco Prime Collaboration, for example, um, Cisco RTMT real-time monitoring tool, which allows um, reactive access to logs and, and data. Um, I think the case for, for Splunk is actually take that machine data, consolidate it, and apply operational intelligence to it to create dashboards that allow us to have proactive insight into what's going on with the platform so that we can actually take care of issues before they arise, before they become problems. So, um, you know, we look at, uh, we apply the 90-10 principle. And so what that says is that 10% of your problems take up 90% of your resources to solve those problems. So if we look at the top two or three uh, issues that are associated with UC, and, and you know, I've, I've been working with UC for years. I've worked at uh, a couple different service providers as a core engineer, and so I've seen a lot of different problems. The common ones are QoS and fraud, and then issues that are caused by onboarding and MACD, so moves as changes and deletes. So um, I guess we got three cases there. <clears throat> Um, fraud really and you know you mentioned fraud and telecom in the same sentence and people kind of look at you like you're a little wonky um, they just don't get it you know everybody th thinks about fraud or or security breaches that are coming from the network side from you know public network access well the PSCN is one of the largest public, ne uh, public networks that exists right so if you if you look at that the fact that anybody in the world can dial any phone number in the world you're really pretty wide open there um, now, this, again, for sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. fraud from uh, internal, external perspective, uh, or both? Uh, well, it could be either or. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm talking specifically about external okay. at this point. So, um, but it definitely could come from either side. So, um, we've I've seen cases where you had a bad actor inside of a business who exploited weaknesses within a system to um, pass themselves off as an, a manager or a CEO. In one case, actually, oh. gained credentials for the CEO's accounts and was able to access the CEO's mails and. You know, things of that nature it wasn't a great scene. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, external exploiters can also utilize those same capabilities that are built into the platforms, the communications platforms, to be able to go in and fraudulently pass themselves off as another user or to gain access to help desk support and change a user's password, do whatever they want to. Um, toll fraud's one of the big ones, though, and it's not uncommon. Again, you know, I worked at a service provider that sold uh, PRI trunking as well as uh, UC as a solution, as a service, and uh, was not uncommon to see you know, multiple customers that would have fraudulent calls in a one-week period. So we would have, I think the worst case I ever saw was $65,000 around that over a three-day weekend. So it was over a holiday weekend. One of the customers' um, voicemail accounts, they had a Cisco PBX, one of the voicemail accounts um, was compromised, and the attacker was able to utilize that compromise to place outbound calls to, uh, I believe the destinations were in Nigeria. They had a nice prince over there. Oh probably. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a prince. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and uh, 
And uh, so, yeah, $65,000 worth of toll charges over a, over a three-day period. Oh, wow. So that's a that's a kind of a he- hot and heavy attack. There's also the slow bleed. I've actually seen um, over a two- or three-month period where they're making, you know, a call here, a call there, but they still manage to get tens of thousands, tens of, thousands of dollars worth of uh, charges run on. So in these scenarios, what Splunk can help you do is to see these fraudulent calls sooner than you would if it was just like a, a weekend or a day uh, end-of-the-day log. So you can see almost in real time that this person is supposed to be calling X area, but they're really calling Y area. Let's figure out why that's happening and do something about it. Yeah, exactly. So we can, uh, again, near real time, we can look at the Cisco CDR records. Uh, We can get those every 15 minutes. Um, We can analyze those records for calling patterns. So calls from a particular user to a particular user. Do we see multiple calls to this particular destination number or any international destination number? over X period of time, and then does that need to be flagged to be looked at by a NOC or a SOC engineer? So now, you say we. Is there a way to set that up so it's it's automated, so that red flags sort of pop up, you don't have to sift so through the log? The, the alerting is actually automated. Okay. Yeah, obviously, Splunk has those capabilities built in intrinsically, so we can set up alerts. We can actually take action. So one of the things that I've been working on, um, I mentioned Cisco Spark a little while ago. Um, Cisco Spark has a robust set of APIs that allow you to exchange data with uh, you know, pop messages into a room and uh, see when messages are posted to a room, things of that nature, for example, and actually in a, do bot integration. So if you want to take action, you can actually have the bot take action on your behalf. Um, so I actually put together an integration between Splunk and Spark where Splunk alerts were fed to a Spark room so that, for example, you could have a, a SOC engineer watching that Spark room when an alert came up they would be notified. In this case, it was for IP addresses that were attempting SSH logins, but it could just as easily be for a CDR record alert or whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, there's certainly multiple, it could be done by email, pager, phone call. Certainly there are multiple multiple options for alerting. Sure. Um, yeah. So other than fraud, a couple of the other like use cases um, that you mentioned, can you elaborate on those for a little bit? Fraud's definitely a big one, so I wanted to make sure we talked about that. Um, but certainly, QoS is another huge one. So in addition to CDR records, uh, CUCM and most other platforms have, uh, in Cisco they're called CMR, so call maintenance records, which actually provide call qualitative statistics about the calls, right? So uh, mean opinion score, which is a measure of how good the call quality is. It ranges from 4.0 down to whatever abysmal depth it can get down to, I guess. Um, and so we can actually look at those CMR records and analyze call quality over time and tie those call quality reports back to a specific trunk, for example. So if we've got multiple PRIs running into a system and we notice that uh, CMR records for trunk A, uh, for lack of a better uh, way to call it, I guess, um, I'll go back and redo that one. So if we notice that calls to trunk A, for example, are consistently poor quality, we know that we've probably got an issue with that trunk. and it provides us with some additional insight into what's going on with the actual quality of the system. So we, we don't have to rely on customers and, and users to, to call us and say, hey, I'm having call quality issues. We can actually see that in, in real time on a dashboard. For implementation, I, I know Force 3 helps with this, but is there any particular um, expertise that someone within an organization would need to have to set up these sorts of, um, you know, Splunk, teaming with Econo, teaming with the messages to Spark or anything else of that nature? So I mentioned earlier, you know, if you look at, if you look at collaboration as a multidisciplinary 
field, right? So I mentioned that you've got application layer, OS layer, VM, virtualization, UCS, you know, server-side data center type applications. So generally speaking, and this is where there is going to be a difference typically between federal and civilian and commercial. Uh, commercial, a lot of times, the guy who's running the telecom has his hands in all those other buckets as well, right? So um, if, if he needs access to uh, hypervisor data to see if there's a VMware issue that's impacting call quality, processor utilization, or something of that nature, he'll have that direct insight. In the federal space, that may not be the case, right? So the, the servers may reside with the data center team, uh, and the virtualization might reside with the data center team. The network's gonna be handled by the network team. The actual application will be handled by the telecom team, but that telecom team may not have insight into those other silos without going up and down the, the ladder to get, to get to that data. The great thing about Splunk is that you can provide an, an overarching dashboard that would show all those components in one, one screen, one pane of glass, um, and allow that, that telecom engineer to see if there are potentially other, other siloed applications that are impacting their, their end users. So, yeah, yeah it, it seems to be able to, to streamline, uh, and I think most importantly to most people who are pulling the logs and doing everything on a day-to-day yeah. basis, yeah. make your job easier. Yeah, and we, and we talked about, we talked about that, that MACD work and that kind of front-end onboarding, and I think Splunk also helps, and, and I did mention also going from a reactive to a proactive role, I think, too. So Splunk definitely helps with, with all that. You can uncover, um, uncover those issues that are, so if you're provisioning users and you have a user that's provisioned and shouldn't be able to call international, but they are for some reason, you'll see that in your, in your Splunk dashboard, right, potentially, if you're alerting on, on that, and be able to go back and fix it. The other flip side of that is the automation. And that's really, I, I talked about Prime Collaboration a little bit earlier, and that's really where Prime Collab can come into play here too, um, is kind of automating and templatizing that, that onboarding process and the MACD process so that all those permissions are applied correctly. And, um, and there's even some, possibly some interplay between Prime Collab and Splunk on some level. I haven't really investigated that yet, but there's a full set of APIs there that you could exploit to um, have Splunk take action on a user or potentially you know, automate that blocking of the international or whatever the case may be. So It sounds like for, for both of these, for both sort of Akano and the, the real-time video conferencing capabilities and Splunk being able to get that security insight into those near real-time communications, we're just sort of at the, the start of what's possible. Yeah, that's a great point. We're kind of creating the story. You know, I mean, the use case today is really, oh, let's look at CDR records. Well, there are, you know, there are a couple of uh, vendors out there that have add-ins for Splunk that look at CDR records, do CR, CDR analysis. And my thought process around it is, yeah, let's not just stop there. Let's look at the entire platform, right? So, I mean, there's all these underlying components, all these moving pieces that all contribute to the success or failure of a, of a UC Collab deployment. Let's look at all those pieces and make sure that everything is operating optimally. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times um, I remember one instance where we had a customer that was, uh, they had a dedicated instance of um, Cisco Unified Contact Center. And it had been deployed before I, before I went to work for this company. Um, started crashing randomly two to three times a week. It would go down, reboot. It had to be rebooted manually. Obviously, the customer is on fire. They're upset about it. We go in, I start looking around and discover that it had been deployed on non Intel architecture, virtual server. That was the issue. With Splunk, we could have probably 
seeing some of those alerts coming out because it, they, it was being spit out that it was not Intel architecture into a log file. You know, if we had Splunk, we could have seen those alerts in, a, in, a, in a, again, your real time. And there's no one caught it. Yeah, no one caught it, right? And nobody's going in with RTMT and looking at those logs on a continuous basis. It's just not feasible, you know, so. Yeah, so we have this conversation in a year we're talking about, or even maybe six months, we're talking about all new use cases as people yeah. uncover what's possible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, there are some standing use cases, I think. So and we actually have an opportunity we're working on right now um, with a customer, I can't really say who it is, but they've got a very large um, uh, contact center enterprise deployment. And so they kind of want end-to-end visibility of the call. So what gateway did the call come in on? What circuit did the call come in on? Um, and how did the call route through my system? What agent got it? Why did that agent get the call? How did they disposition the call? Where did the call go after that? And then even looking at ordering information. So um, what product did that customer order? Um, you know, how was it paid for? Things of that nature. So they want to do a bunch of analytics around. Not only they, so they're, I guess it's operationally around the call flow, but also analytically around the ordering process. So they can see if users from if end users from a particular region are purchasing a product more than others, or whatever the case may be, so pretty neat business cases there. Very large, very large opportunity. Um, we've actually engaged one of our partners to come in and help with some of the KPIs and uh, gathering data from the UCCE side of it, and uh, dealing with Splunk as well to uh, kind of get an optimized solution for the customer. But it's really neat, really neat opportunity. Uh, so Rob, really, any you know last thoughts about Splunk, Akana, or the general umbrella of UC? Yeah, so I, I definitely think that the Econo acquisition is a sign of things to be, right? So you look at tools like Spark and Slack, and, and I think the Slack, the guys who created Slack actually said that they created it in response to a question that hadn't, hadn't even been answered yet, or asked yet, I'm sorry. And um, I think they those tools definitely do enable collaboration on a completely different level than what we're used to today, right? So it's the, the melding of, of different modalities of collaboration into one consistent experience. I think there will be a lot of pickup on that moving forward. I think the Econo acquisition will drive that in the federal space because they'll finally have access to a tool set that can give them those those capabilities. Um, yeah, and I definitely, an, analytics and, and security is definitely not going anywhere. You know, I mean, it's becoming more and more critical every day. So the Splunk story is going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to develop it, do proof of, proof of concept uh, projects, and, and just kind of develop that use case uh, around the whole, uh, whole Splunk integration. So Rob Dawson, pre-sales solution architect for the collaboration practice at Force 3. Thank you so much for the conversation today. Thank you very much as well. appreciate it. This has been Through the Firewall with Force 3. Force 3.